Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. My name is Michael Zalavari, and today we are walking through the first part of the WEC, well, the Loire entry list, the centenary edition of the 24 Hours of Loire. The first in a three-part series where we'll go through the full grid in each of the classes uh, to make sure that you know what's happening and we know what's happening for the centenary edition of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. We're do- talking through Hypercar today, the combined LMH and LMDH category. And joining me for this today is Cookie Monster FL, Austin Zetsman. Good evening for you, Austin. Nailed it. You got it. I did uh, it. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, as always, especially for this Le Mans. Um, for some reason, we might get excited every year, but I think this year is the year that we've been saying for four to five years now that uh, we really should be kind of excited. So I'm your hyperbolic prototype fanboy, and I'm here to say this is going to be a intense uh, year for <laughs> prototype hypercar racing, man. I am super pumped. Yeah, well, we have been talking about this year as being the landmark year for convergence for the the combined LMH and LMDH category. And boy, howdy, has it come in with a bang. We have in this top class, 16 cars, 16 cars. I cannot remember a time where we have had more top level cars with a chance of winning in one class at Le Mans. Like you'd have to go back to the combined LMP1 or sorry, the LMP900 and GT1 days in order to, to find something with this much variety at the top cookie. Yeah. Uh, Harkens back to days of your, <laughs> um, where you would basically have a field of prototypes battered with some GT cars um, even in Group C prior to that. Um, and yeah, you you really had a depth of field when it came to potentially overall winners. And that's why you saw a lot of Le Mans magic uh, come about too with just even if you have pace, you got to make sure you can finish. Mm. And um, this will be a key factor this year, more so than any other year and prototypes in the 21st century, which is crazy to say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're this is bigger than it was in uh, in Group C. It's a bigger uh, strength of field and variety of field in the top class than even um, in the GT1 era, in the 1999, that famous or infamous year. So yes, I mean, we're we're technically stepping into completely unprecedented territory when it comes to competitive racing at the top step at Le Mans. Like I. Like, there's really no way to, to word it otherwise. Yeah, and what an appropriate uh, place to be in for the centenary edition, for the for the 100th year uh, since it's been going on. So what a, what a great way to, to be, to celebrate this event than with this amount of cars in the top class. Uh, so I made mention that this is the combined converged top class of LMH and LMDH machinery. Cookie, what, what do those acronyms mean? What is LMH? What is LMDH? Where have they come from? Where do they go? Where have they come from? Cookie, I... Joe? Uh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. oh, we're going with that reference. Oh, yeah. uh, so Lamont, <laughs> I was going to, I was going to roll through that one. Uh, Lamont hypercar and Lamont, uh, what is it? Lamont hypercar. Daytona. H- hybrid Daytona. I'm Daytona sorry. H- Lamont hybrid Daytona. <laughs> uh, so both of those are essentially in the same class. Uh, they're derivatives of the former LMP1 DPI uh segments of uh sports car racing prototype lore uh, in the uh, in the previous regulations uh, there's just two different types of categories of cars they've been equalized out for the most part uh to race together um Lamont, uh, Lamont hypercars are 
more spec design by the individual uh, teams or factories that are producing them. Uh, Lama hybrid Daytona prototypes, which are basically IMSA um, segment, those are derivatives of the newer LMP2 regulations that haven't been fully announced yet. But, which is uh, weird, yeah. Yep. And so they're basically just kind of extra uh, uh, OEM-esque uh, what is it? Body parts that are bolted on to make it easier for people to understand that they're uh, related to OEMs and they go running around racing against LMHs. Um, so they both race essentially with the same regulation window, uh, but they both kind of come from different different ideas or concepts of prototype racing, all in a BOP blanket, so to speak. Yeah, so, but yeah, there. If if you are New or old to the sport, you guys might know GTP racing and obviously Group C. It's more or less kind of the same thing of Group C slash GTP racing and having sort of an equal uh, regulation area window for both of them to actually race because you saw uh, Group C and GTP race together multiple times back in the 80s. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And I I think the really important part there is that they're technically equivalent um, so, you know, if, you, if you're a manufacturer who wants to build something a bit more from scratch, like, say, Toyota, you go to LMH, where you've got a lot more control over your design, but you've still got to fit it within this box. If you want something that's a bit more of a bolt-on solution, you go to LMDH, where you've got a chassis that's basically given to you, and then you design the bodywork and put an engine in it and get given a hybrid. Um, so they're, they're actually remarkably close. I've been quite impressed with the, the balance between the two classes uh, so far this season. Um, but as we'll talk through a little bit more, uh, we'll talk a bit more about the balance of performance and how this all uh, equalizes out. But on the whole, the class, the two different types of cars are actually pretty, uh, pretty well equivalent. But all that does mean is that, as I said, we've got sixteen cars racing in this in this category, which is ludicrous. Like, how how long has it been since we have this many cl- cars in the top class from this variety of manufacturers? Like, even the glory days of LMP1, where we had what like. Uh, Toyota, Audi, Porsche, and Nissan with like support from Rebellion and by Collars didn't have this many cars. I mean, probably 60s and 70s, if we're being particularly honest, or uh, 95. Yeah. When you have the uh, the B, what is it, the BPR series that was racing that kind of took over after um, WAC sort of folded um, there. So th- that would probably be the, the, the closest, but that I would say was more uh manufacturer or like more just like uh, production based so less like it, they still were prototypes but i would say they were like gt gt prototypes gt1 later 90s is where i would say like gt prototypes exist so i would almost not even classify the 90s i mean like i said i would have to go almost back to this like 70s 60s where you would see different amounts of manufacturers that would potentially have or could produce a winning car that year for Le Mans. But even then you still had a pecking order. You still had like Porsche is still trying to figure out how to win at Le Mans overall as they're working their way up kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, uh, the, yes, this is obviously all in a performance window. It is BOP, but um, again, this stuff is just unprecedented in terms of the actual capability for any of these manufacturers to win five out of the seven, um, listed could easily do that. And I mean, it, that would take us immediately to 1999. Um, and even then, so like Nissan was not going to win 1999. There's just, I mean, everybody else would have had to die and their car would have actually had to like survive without any issues and would have probably won. But um, this year, 
like I said, I think each five can do it. I, I think people could poo poo on a couple of those, but you know, like I said, the it's very stiff competition and the quality of the teams and the drivers are extraordinary as well. Yeah. One final thing before we start looking at each of the teams and the drivers is that uh, we have had a change to the regulations for the WEC since the last round at Spa-Francorchamps. And if you've been following the WEC, you'd be very well aware of this. There was a few high-profile incidents on cold tires uh, coming out of the pits. Um, so the ACO and the WEC have decided to reintroduce tire warmers um, for this event uh, specifically, they may take them back away for the rest of the season. Um, a lot of drivers have been very pleased about that. Gustavo Menezes was quoted by Daily Sportscast saying that it was a good uh, good decision on safety grounds. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I know we talked about this in the wrap-up for Spa, but now that it has changed, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Uh, darn them all. They should have listened to me. No. Um, yeah, if it's... Uh... If if everyone's in an agreement to do it, I don't have a I don't have an issue with it. So, um, you know, I I, I would love for it to be chaotic as much as possible. Oh, but gosh. if everybody is gonna you know wants in the in the name of safety to implement a change that might you know that makes everybody more at ease, then that's that's fine. So I have I have no issues with the uh, with the rule. So damn, you're boring. <laughs> Um, does that advantage any <laughs> advantage or disadvantage anyone in particular? Um, I I mean, I, again, at this point, I, I think it's just too early to to say specifically who it would. I mean, theoretically, yes, I think it would help benefit, uh, like Peugeot, per, for instance, if if it is in like some somewhat damper conditions. I do think like getting those tires heated up more so that they can commit more to the corners, giving allowing more downforce to generate uh through the car as well will be helpful. The versus, you know, one that isn't necessarily as dependent on ground effect as that car is. Um but I just still think right now I don't know which car is uh does really well in certain conditions yet. I would assume Toyota does well in that kind of condition as well. But I, uh, like I said, it's, it's too early. I think for me to be able to be like, okay, I think tire warmers help Ferrari more than others. I mean, it genuinely, if it keeps them on the track, then sure it helps them more, but yeah, I I don't know. Not, not sure yet who it would benefit the most other than just preventing cars from careening off the track into tire barriers. So, (laughs) Ah, uh, damn it, Cookie. Why can't you have hot takes based on nothing? Uh, no, you make, it, make a very good point. We are recording this um, in what would be about halfway through the 24 hours of Le Mans if we're recording it next week. Um, we have not seen the cars out on track yet. Presage finished overnight. Um, and so we are recording this like in the middle of the night for the test, like the upcoming test day. So um, hopefully this will be out during the test day so you can have a listen to it then. But yeah, we haven't actually seen the cars out on track yet. Cookie, let's talk about some race cars. Uh, so we will start with the five-time reigning champions. Your very uh, the team that's very close to your heart, the Toyota. So they are with bring two cars, number seven and the number eight. The Toyota GR zero one zero hybrid. Um, this car has won Le Mans the last two times in a row. Uh, the driver lineups haven't changed since last year. Mike Conway, Kamuko, Biashi, jo- Jose Maria Lopez in the seven. Uh, Sebastian Buemi, Brennan Hartley, Rio Hirakawa in the eight. Uh, Toyota, they have been the one team that has stuck around through the sort of downturn of LMP1 and the start, the very slow start of LMH. And they've, you know, reaped the rewards and the victories for that, you know, winning in 2018, 19, 20, 21, and 22. How do we see 
Toyota this year? Favorites, absolutely. Still favorites? Why? Yes. Uh, because of their performance so far early in the season, uh, their massive amount of experience. Um, I mean, granted, not with the competition they have, but I do think that the car overall is still just suited perfectly for the driver lineups that they've got. Um, and as long as stuff doesn't get too out of their control, I think they have the ability to run away with the race whenever they feel like it. So, and, and, and why, why is that? Why has Toyota got an advantage beyond the car, which of course is, you know, weathered and not weathered, but like is up to speed and has been up to speed with two seasons under its belt compared to everyone else. Why, why is the Toyota racing team uh, a cut above everyone else still, even though we've got some quality racing teams coming in? Uh, I I think mostly the experience that they've had um, in the trenches at Le Mans specifically, uh, having to deal with a lot of adversity and especially at least overcoming it, even if it might not have been as pressing, uh, to finally kind of push over that that mountain, so to speak, and try to come out the other end and, you know, to be five-time winners of Le Mans is still not uh easy to do uh but they've also shown that they are pretty good now at being able to react to situations especially now that we're in the hybrid area or era i should say where they can react pretty quickly to issues granted they've they've showcased a lot of problems in terms of like incorrect tire sensors for Mm. you know um for punctures going down and whatnot but you know they've been able to stay on the track which they were having problems with before and i think that is going to play dividends especially this year where i'm sure we're going to see a couple cars in in hypercar not be able to make it back to the pits for some reason whatsoever and it might be something simple or it might be complicated but i think those are those are situations where i feel like toyota would get back to the pits where we might see some cars get stranded so um, you know, it's just a lot of experience that they bring to the table in a lot of different ways that I think gives them the advantage over a lot of these other teams. hundred percent. And, you know, it's not just the experience at Lamar, but also the experience in the WEC. You know, Toyota have been racing the WEC for, what, 11 years now? Um, whereas all of these other teams, Cadillac, Porsche, uh, Ferrari, Peugeot, have just come back. So, you know, they've got a decade of experience under their belt, whereas the other guys are... Uh, I think uh, Graham Goodwin has said they're test teams, not race teams yet. Um, so that is uh, holds them in good stead. Um, there's been a bit of a discussion over the past few years that Toyota haven't really earned their Le Mans victories, um, that they've won them against weakened competition, and that you know their their, their victories, in uh, quotes here, don't count. As a longtime Toyota fan, Cookie, what would you like to say uh, to people who have, uh, are from that school of thought? that's that's fine it it the the thing i feel like if i would look back on it it would be more so to the point that like you can't just ignore those with like those years you can absolutely put asterisks near them but it's not for anything that any of them any of the team or the organizing body did or anything it just there wasn't any competition so if if the aspect was okay, it's those years of Lamar tainted because there wasn't any competition, and now you're going to support the hypercar era and the 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 field that we're generating the entry list that we're able to cultivate here, especially with a lot of the remnants of what the LMP1H era was. 
it just doesn't make sense to to essentially flag like a large chunk of Lamar history now with basically being okay well they didn't have enough competition so it doesn't really count when we're now gonna you know embrace and glorify this new era of sports car racing that has directly benefited from that era existing so i just think that it's like uh, yeah it, it stinks that toyota didn't really have a lot of competition but at the end of the day i think like what we're enjoying right now is people that are fans of sports racing and lamas specifically and we're able to do that is as a direct result that the torch was able to stay lit for those years mm. and like i I I don't really have a rebuttal to people that want to say that they don't have competition because they they're right they don't like I I think this year I've said it for a long time that if they win this year I think it'll be more impactful I would think to the team and to the drivers and to everybody involved that they won now versus when you know they were just winning by themselves I mean and as a Toyota fan has been here since like 2012 when they started racing like it would be more impactful to me if they won this year than almost any other year outside of maybe, you know, um, 2016 or, or 2017 <laughs> or, or something. But yeah. You, or 2014 right, or 1999. All right, yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. <laughs> that joke hurt me. <laughs> do you want to keep um, going? 1994? No, 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 no. So yeah, so I do, I, I like, they have a lot of advantages coming into this race. Yeah. We'll see if they can utilize all of them. So. Yeah, and, and Toyota, more than any other team, knows that uh to to first to win first they have to beat the event and i i think uh, a lot of people uh who may have been following sports cars for only a short time might not understand that history but yes toyota have come second a lot and have lost wins a lot so the fact that they have have got five wins in a row is just reward even though they haven't been the most bombastic but like even still you know you look at the audi's dominance in the in the early 2000s a lot of those were against competition that, you know, you could argue wasn't up to scratch. I mean, the you know, there wasn't really any other factory teams in the early parts of the 2000s besides maybe Bentley, which was, you know, very much a, uh, a, a another division of the Volkswagen group racing at Le Mans. So, you know, a lot of shared data there and shared, um, shared engineering. But, like, after Bentley left in 2004, you know, you had Pescarolo as the main challenge. And nothing against Pescarolo. They finished second overall, which is amazing. But, like, that's not the same as racing Peugeot, for example. Or, you know, in Group C, it was dominated by Porsche early on. Mostly because the other key factory team, Lancia, just wasn't up to that same standard. So, yeah, I, it's it's not... It's not the first time that we've had a sequence where there's been a lack of competition in the top class. But, like, people don't talk about that because it was so long ago. In 20 years, people aren't going to talk about Toyota not having competition. They're just going to look at their five wins and go, wow. I mean, you're you're not wrong, but I do think... Um... You know, social media presence wasn't as big back then, so that's, that's literally why you, why you probably wouldn't have had as much of a discussion then as you do now with it. And it just like it'll it'll echo for a while too. So like I wouldn't be surprised if people don't bring up you know the Toyota thing in twenty years still, but it you know, but it might be more of a nuanced take with it. That's my fingers crossed, hopeful assumption that the community nuance? in twenty years is going to be great. Nuance on social media, please. <laughs> Hey, look, I mean, look, I can be an idealist still in this, in this, <laughs> in this time, in this age. Um, but yeah, I, uh, 
I don't know. I, I, I think you absolutely have a, a point. So I, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. I do think that there have been times where it was a little bit more gimme to the team that was going to show up. I mean, uh, uh, the the early nineties with per show. Mm. Um, so I do think definitely those things are, are not necessarily looked at as much of a scrutiny as it is now, but you know, a lot of it is just, this is the data that we live in. This is our domain. This is, you know, so we, we have to be investigative and all that stuff with it. And, uh, um, you know, and, and kind of pick apart a little bit of like, okay, was this a qual? How quality was this yeah, event yeah, yeah, that, yeah. We, that we watched? And I, like I said, I mean, that's what we're here to do as well, but it's, you know, like it's just the, it's the, uh, you know, the nature of the beast, I guess, at this point with it. So I, I don't pay it too much mind. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and of course you wouldn't. You're a Toyota fan. There's no bias there at all. <laughs> yeah. And potentially they'll, they'll be sticking around for the uh, hydrogen era. We'll see mm-hmm. with, the, with the rumors circulating that they're doing that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're sick of Toyota, uh, deal with it. <laughs> Love it. Hee <laughs> um, Of the two cars, uh, it has been the number a number eight car rather that has been the the pick of the bunch with a win at Portimao and second place at Spa and Sebring uh the number eight car won at Sebring and Spa but did have problems at Portimao which has dropped them from the lead of the championship um of the two cars Cookie which is in your opinion the stronger car oh man it's so tough I would say the eight is but seven was so good last year at Le Mans specifically that it's just like, do I think Mike Conway can put up another absolute stunner of a race? Uh, I, especially with traffic and whatnot, I would probably give the nod to the eight, even though I feel like I could eat those words instantly with the seven just dominating. Yeah. Um, and then, it, you know, you know, Kobayashi's in there. So it's just kind of like, you know, it's daring me to pick against it. <laughs> so I'm going to do it, I guess. Um but yeah, so I'll I'll go with the eight, but I am I'm very fearful that I'll regret that pick. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we'll move on to the, probably the closest challenger for Toyota this season, uh, and that is Ferrari. The prancing horse is back at Le Mans after 50 years, and by golly, does the 499P look gorgeous. Um, Ferrari stunned everyone by taking a pole position at uh, at Sebring uh, in, in what was just an absolute surprise. I don't think anyone expected that to happen, um, but the, their consistency as a racing outfit has left a little bit to be desired. Um, they did take second at Portimao. They did take a third place at Sebring, um, but they also uh, had that issue at uh, at Spa where the Forco Molina Nielsen team had that crash immediately coming out of the pits. Um, but the sister car did pick up a podium on that occasion. What has been your thoughts on Ferrari's efforts so far this season? Where where are we sitting with Ferrari? Thumbs up for me. I have no issues with uh, with with their outfit right now. I uh, Le Mans really is going to be where we find out how. The, the car's design pays off um, ultimately. I mean, granted, everybody wants to perform well uh, for the championship, but truly, um, you know, we're we're really going to kind of see if the car is solid or not at, at this track. And I, I have a feeling it will. Uh, the design it re- seem, seemingly is Glickenhaus-esque kind of, yeah. where that they really have, they have a ton of rear downforce and the way that they, they seem to try to utilize that uh, for aero balance might, you know, be more effective when it comes to different spots at Le Mans, like, like kind of the Glickenhaus is, is modeled towards as well, just not as obviously efficiently as the Ferrari is. So 
Um, I I really am. I'm very nervously optimistic for this car. I, I it looks absolutely the business, and I just can't wait to see it go down the track at different camera spots because uh, I've been dreaming about this <laughs> for a long, long time as a sports car fan. And um, yeah, I I don't know if they have enough to challenge uh, the Toyotas. Um, I. To me, I feel like if anything, we would see a challenge with the Toyotas coming from like a Peugeot or maybe the Cadillacs or something. Like, I just feel like where the Ferrari has shown right now, they don't seem to have the pace to match where the Toyota is strong. Like, or they their strengths seem to be around where the Toyota's strengths are, but yeah. they just don't seem to have it. Um, so I just feel like their target is to try to chase the Toyota as much as possible. But I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if Toyota in turn have to start chasing one of the other categories or um, OEMs that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting take. Something I have noticed about the Ferrari uh, setup so far this season is that while their, their setups have been pretty good and their, their sort of qualifying pace has been pretty good, you know, taking pole at Sebring showed that um, their, their race management hasn't been, all that great. Um, and part of that is, you know, race management in terms of race setup and all the, the sort of that sort of side of things, but also in the actual, like managing the race itself. I think we had uh, one or two issues where they've, you know, run into traffic and, you know, that sort of thing where they're just not a, not a proper race team yet. Um, drivers for these two cars, number 50 has Antonio Forco, Miguel Molina, and Nicholas Nielsen in, uh, that machine. The number 51 has Alessandro Piaguidi, James Collado, and Antonio Giovinazzi. What I noticed about those driver lineups, Cookie, is that they're all drivers that have predominantly been racing in GTs. They've been predominantly racing for AF Corsa in the 488. Uh, jumping up to the prototype, do you think that's a, a going to be something that plays against them at Le Mans? No. No? Why not? Uh, because uh, 2015 Le Mans. You have to remind Next me. question. Uh, um, um, your buddy Nick Tandy? Yeah. Winning winning Le Mans and, uh, and Earl Bamber winning Le Mans, yeah. being GT drivers, basically. And then stepping up into LMP1 and then winning with Nico Hulkenberg. Like, that was just a swing in the complete left field for baseball reference. And uh, they just crushed a home run. So... I think any of them, especially as if you're in GTE Pro, you're essentially a professional racing driver who can handle essentially any car that you're thrown into. Let's just be real. And uh, I think any of them could potentially, um, you know, win without any uh, previous racing experience in the prototype field, especially hypercars. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I, I'm not going to say anything against that at all because I, I totally agree with you. Um, I will just also add a caveat that, uh, Fuoco and Giovinazzi are, uh, test drivers, uh, and reserve drivers for a bunch of F1 teams. Um, so they do have experience in high downforce, fast cars, but a, a lot of reports have said that, uh, the, uh, hypercars are much more like souped up GT cars than they are out and out prototypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard the same as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. And uh, maybe that allows them to feel the car, or at least feel the balance a little bit better, just coming from an easier background to, you know, to upgrade into instead of to downgrade from with some of the other potential prototype drivers. I don't know. Uh, last, last thing about Ferrari. This is a return to the race after a 50-year absence. The last time Ferrari raced in the top class of Lamar 
pardon me, was in 1973 with the Ferrari 312 PB that finished second overall uh, behind the Matra of Henry Pescarolo and Gerard LaRousse. The the Ferrari had um, Arturo Mazzario and Carlos pa- uh, Pache uh, uh, from Brazil as the drivers on that occasion. Would it be a fairy tale finish for uh, Le Mans, the centenary event, um, to have one of the uh, longest, oldest winners come back after a 50-year absence and take the win? I think it would it would be great, but good Lord, I would have to take a break for from <laughs> sports car social media for like a month and a half after that. Do you know like the amount of like people that would just be yelling conspiracy theory like the entire time? <laughs> what, like the when, when Ford came into 2016 GT yeah. Pro and, and won? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're just like, oh, okay, ACO. Oh, okay. So how the Ferrari wins this year? I can't believe you. I can't believe you've done this. Like, well, the, the thing is, you could say that about almost any of the manufacturers. You that could. You, everyone has a story of, of at Le Mans. So, like, oh, no wonder. It's like, if, if Toyota win, oh, okay, Toyota win. They continue their streak. Well done, ACO. If Porsche win, oh, the winningest manufacturer comes and wins at the centenary. Oh, well done, ACO. Peugeot win. People, oh, people the French team wins Porsche. the centenary. Oh, well, they wouldn't well. be blaming ACO, they'd be they'd be just cursing Porsche. They'd I mean, that's like, true. If, yeah. Porsche, if Porsche won this year, I think I would be cursing Porsche. So, okay. Speaking of uh, speaking of Porsche, let's talk about the American team Cadillac. <laughs> um, so when we did the preview uh, podcast, uh, the the wrap up of Spa, uh, you said to me that you would rather see Porsche win than see Cadillac win. Why would you say such a thing, you half rate American? I don't know. <laughs> yeah fair okay uh, so I don't, I, I don't know I, like, I'm chaos man I'd I, like this is true I mean sure it, it would be cool it would be cool I'm not gonna lie yeah but it, w- it would be nice to see an American or like hear the American national anthem play on the overall podium but I don't know I feel like I feel like it would be insufferable though like I would have to deal with a lot of like like the after party like, it's just I don't know if I want to deal with that, you know. No, but no you know what? Time. I I, w- I actually no. Yeah, you're right. I I don't know what I was saying. I would rather see Cadillac win Le Mans than than Porsche at this point this year. Gross. For sure. Gross. Uh, let's talk about the the Cadillac effort at Le Mans. We have two cars from Cadillac Racing, which is CGR Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, the number two, which has Earl Bamber, Alex Lynn, and Richard Westbrook, that is the full season WEC car. And then we have the number three, which is uh, the uh, additional car, the yellow car of Sebastian Bourdais, Renger Van der Zander, and Scott Dixon. Now, the number three was meant to be a brand new chassis that they raced at Spa last time out. However, there was a big crash in Eau Rouge for uh, Rega van der Zander that put that car in the wall and managed to save the chassis. Uh, the, the, the crash didn't kill the chassis, but it did uh, uh, give too much damage to that car for it to be repaired in time for this event. So they've taken the uh, IMSA car that won last time out at Laguna Seca and brought it over for Le Mans. Uh, Cadillac also has a third car run by Action Express Racing, the number 311. That has Pipo Durrani, Alexander Sims, and Jack Aitken behind the wheel. Uh, Cadillac has been doing pretty well in IMSA competition. Uh, we did mention that they just won the last time out at Laguna Seca. Uh, they've been the best of the LMDH cars so far. Uh, would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely the, mo- the, mo- the, the best all-around LMDH car. Yeah, um... 
how would you rate their chances uh, in uh, at Lamar so far this season? Or well, sorry, how would I mean, you rate their chances at Lamar based on what you've seen so far this season? Okay, I I will say they're they're the uh, they're the best one, but Acura is close, man. Acura is quick. It's just they they need to f- iron out a few other things when it comes to just keeping that pace at all the tracks. But um, no, but I, I think Cadillac has a, a good chance of this. I, I think they absolutely have the 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 raw power and speed to 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 run the entire distance i think when it comes to potentially i don't want to say that any of these teams are going to be um backing off at any point but i I think the cadillacs have the ability to just constantly put the hammer down and push um all the time and that was it, it kind of feels like that's their modus operandi when it comes to just you know getting around really quick tracks especially like this in daytona um i feel like they just have a good knack for um top end speed while also not really abusing the tires that much and um and yeah so i i I just i have an inkling suspicion that they'll they'll find a way to to be in the top five at some point through a decent amount of the race potentially or at least like one of them like I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of battles that include Cadillacs fighting. Yeah. So they just seem like they are really always feisty. They have some sort of pace relative to the cars around them. And uh, yeah, who knows? Uh, they they have been uh, quite good at uh, bringing that pace when they've needed it. Um, however, their tire management has been a bit iffy. I remember at Portimao, uh, I think Richard Restbrook brought in their car for first after their first stint and had ruined the tires so badly at, by the end of that stint that when they tried to double stint those tires, they just couldn't do it. Um, so it's one of those things where you know it's a fine line between outright pace and tire management um, in that Cadillac. Uh, Cadillac has so far had a best result in the WC of fourth place. Um, which is uh, you know, pretty good, but you know they haven't actually gone on and grabbed a podium um, just yet. Uh, one thing that is great about the Cadillacs, though, is that they're very easy to tell the difference between the three of them because you have a red car, you have a uh, a blue car, and you have a orange. Uh, sorry, a yellow car. Cookie, why can't more teams do that? <laughs> I want to uh, be able to tell them apart. Yeah, it, it would be convenient, but uh, sometimes, sometimes it's you know it. it Public confusion is really the goal here at uh, at motorsport corporate branding and marketing Inc. Inc. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just glad that but we moved got, away from the ACO mandated red, white, and blue. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, red, white, and black. In, yeah, I mean Toyota's pretty much taken that mantle the entire time. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's it is really nice to see and uh, at least from a design standpoint that's where i would love to see like um the manti porsches back in the day were even then you know if it was just like highlight colors of things like just so i knew at a glance i could see what it was like that's exactly what the cadillacs do so i feel like with when it comes to liveries and telling them apart cadillacs got it down Final thing on the Cadillacs, um, we do have a number of overall Le Mans winners in these cars. Earl Bamber won with Porsche, Sebastian Bourdais won with Peugeot, uh, and I think uh, that's they're the only two. But you know, Pipo Durani's won Daytona and Sebring before. You know, quite a lot of uh, quality in these cars. Of those three, which do you think is the best driver lineup of of the Cadillacs? We've got the you know number two, number three, number three one one. Uh, which of those would you bet your house on if you had to, if you were forced to? Uh, um, I, it's, it's probably between the two and the 
and the 311. So I, I probably say the 311. So that is Pepe Durrani, Alex Sims, and Jet Aiken. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like the the two is just a better. Like it's got CGR and all that, so yeah. they might have the the edge that way. I don't know, but I I think I'm a fan of that lineup. Probably on average, doing better than the two, but it's close. Yeah, so that's uh, uh, Earl Bamber, Alex Lynn, and Richard Westbrook in the number two. I'd probably agree with the number two. They are the the WC full season entry, so they've got you know experience in the WEC field, and as as we made mention, Earl Bamber won the race with Porsche. Uh, you know, only. I say only eight years ago, but it was eight years ago. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, that's well, a long time. Yeah, uh, that hurts. Yeah, damn. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. So that that's Cadillac's uh, racing. So they are in the LMDH class. The other team racing in the LMDH class is Porsche, um, which is bringing four cars. So they're probably the one who's really pushing the sort of factory customer sort of relation the most at the moment uh we've got the two wc full season entry cars from porsche penske motorsport and doesn't that sound wonderful to say porsche penske motorsport uh in the 963 we've got the number five which has dane cameron michael christensen and frederick makovicki uh number six has kevin est andre lotterer and lawrence vantour on top of that, Porsche Penske Motors will also bring over one of their IMSA cars, the number 75, which has Felipe Nasser, Matteo Jaminet, and Nick Tandy back with the team after a brief sojourn in Corvettes. And as well, uh, we've got the Hertz team Jota. So the Jota Mighty 38 has returned to the top class uh, with uh, Antonio Felix da Costa, Will Stevens, and Yife Ye. Uh, let's talk Porsche Penske first. Uh, the car has seemed to be a bit of a handful so far. We were expecting more from them because, you know, it's Porsche and it's Penske. They have taken a third place, but they've also had a few rough results. You know, they were in a good position at Spa um, until the car, one of the cars broke down on them. Uh, Porsche and Penske and the 963, what, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with a lot of people that uh, would have expected a bit more from Porsche, but at the same time, I mean, if this is where they're starting from i mean it it, they could have been a little bit more on the back foot per se and uh you know i i think then i would have been a little bit more harsh on them i think at this point it's you're still kind of feeling out the the car a bit and just trying to get just kind of see what you have i know that they had started earlier than a lot of the other lmdh teams in terms of just having a a mother chassis to work with but um you know a lot of it too is being picked up from where a lot of the Mazda program got left off. And I just feel like that, that design framework is seems to be very like darty and dancy as it's kind of, that's how it operates. And I just feel like it's uh, like Porsche will figure it out. It's just, I don't think they've figured it out yet quite yet. Yeah, something uh, a similar sort of thing to the Cadillac. Something that Porsche has really struggled with is consistent tire life. They they seem to go in in phases where it'll be good for a little while and then it will fall off a cliff. And we saw that at Sebring and at Spa Francorchamps, you know, where they were in good positions to fight for uh, you know podiums, um, but you know had the tire life fall off at just the wrong moment. Um, something that I've noticed in the in the lineups, uh, Cookie, is that you've got a good mix of prototype drivers and GT drivers uh, racing in these cars. So you know, Dane Cameron and uh, Andre Lotterer, more, more so uh, you know, prototype drivers. 
whereabouts are we? Felipe Nassim, also prototype. Nick Tandy, who's kind of danced in between. But then you got Javanet, Est, uh, uh, Michael Christensen, Frederick Makovecki, Lawrence Vantor have been longtime GT drivers. It's a good mix of experience in GT cars and experience in the prototypes uh, in these teams. Um, the only thing that I am disappointed by is the fact that there's one driver from the two programs that has missed out on a Le Mans drive, and that's Matt Campbell. And that makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, big Matt Campbell fan too here. So it's 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 unfortunate. He definitely deserved to be driving some form of a prototype at Le Mans um, and should be a Porsche. Like he's he's done he's done a lot of his dues for for Porsche Motorsports. So maybe at some point in the future we'll get to see him. But yeah, he's definitely a sore a sore, sorely missed driver, uh, Porsche driver, should be driving a uh, a 963 at some point. Yeah, he's um he's the reserve driver for, for all the teams this weekend in terms of the Porsche factory. So um he'll be doing laps at the test day and he'll be doing uh, supporting the track and being a part of all the briefings and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, would love to have seen him on the grid. Um, let's talk about the the Jota car for a moment. Uh, Antonio to Felix da Costa, Will Stevens, and Yefaye. That's a, a quite an accomplished lineup of drivers. You've got a class overall class winner. Sorry, not an overall class winner. A, a class winner at Le Mans in Will Stevens. Um, da Costa has put in some fantastic. I'm pretty sure he's won the LMP2 class as well. And Yifaye has been one of the, the, the hottest properties of, you know, up and coming drivers in the past few seasons. Um, and mm-hmm. combining that with Jota, who are a race team uh, and haven't been a test team, that is quite possibly going to ruffle a few feathers in LMD, uh, well, in the hypercar and possibly also Porsche. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that thing has a shot of being the best Porsche running at the end of the race. Um, I think that that driver lineup absolutely is a dark horse. Uh, and, to, you know, again, seeing where the chips lie with it, I, you know, I'm not expecting Porsche to to be have a sneaky spot at the end of it where they could potentially sneak by. But if it's, if it's going to be anybody, I could 100% see it be the 38. Um, and, you know, keeping a, just a, driving a safe clean race and not really getting into any trouble um that that team could go somewhere so so with that in mind cookie four porsches who's going to be the best of them it's hard to to bet against the the factory teams uh so i won't (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah i like the number six uh it has probably a really really quick set of drivers um you could argue, obviously, whichever one. Um, I also like 75. Um, I mean, Nazar is just an unbelievably fast dude. Tandy, you know, and Jamine is great. Um, but I personally just like that number six lineup. Yeah, so number six is Kevin Est, Andre Lotra, and Lawrence Vantor. I, I, I would also say the number six. But then, you know, you've got a former F1 driver, an up-and-coming Porsche star, and a, you know, Le Mans overall winner in the number 75. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it could go either way. Um I just want to make a quick comment on the customer racing aspect of Porsche. So not only has they have they got the Jota car here, they're also delivering a car to Proton, um, which hopefully should be coming either midway through the season for Monza or at the end of the season. Um, customer racing in LMP, well, in the top class of prototypes, is not something that we've seen for a, a long time. It's not really since the diesel era where we had, you know, car, customer R8s and R10s being sold on to other teams to, to run. Um, as a, as a, as a sports car fan, what are your, like, what are your expectations for the, for the customer teams? And, you know, is this a net good thing or a net bad thing for the series? 
Um, you know, it, it depends on what you want your series to look like at the end of the day. I feel like if the Porsches were by far, if we were going up and down saying that they're the best LMDH that is out there right now, it's just slapping everybody else silly apart from Toyota or whatever. Um, I think that that would ultimately be bad for the sport <laughs> considering how many customers are snatching up 963s. Um, so what you're saying stands, is you've seen I'm, you've seen Group C before. <laughs> yeah, I've seen. Yeah, and it's it is cool. It is great. But you know, and, and car counts are there. But I, you know, I've also we've all lived through 2017 LMP2 regulations, and we all yeah. just have done the collective thumbs down with that too. So in a weird way, I'm I'm kind of glad that Porsche is has not figured out the 963 yet, and that. There's a lot of teams that are investing in potentially a car that isn't just the immediate front runner, but has a really good shot at delivering success to you, you know, you know, week in, week out, even though it might not be the fastest just yet, um, just so that we do get some success and variety into the sport before potentially Porsche figure it out. And we start seeing, you know, the top four places be a Porsche or something like that. So I I want to see more customer cars from other uh, makes and models, but at the same time, I want to see diversity still on our podiums and and winners. So I think right now, obviously, it's hard to say that because of Toyota's success, but I, I just feel like it's coming. Like we're just this is all getting prepped and set up. I'm just I'm appreciating the diversity of the field and that we're not seeing like the strength in numbers of the field be already determined by like a, a really good pace setter and which is also has five cars in the field yet. So what I'm saying is I'm glad the Porsche isn't extremely fast out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. Because screw Porsche, right? Um, yes, yeah, just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit. As a Porsche fan, I am, I am, I'm very happy that they're getting customers because it would just make the car better. And that's what I want to see, especially yep. with a better livery, because I am, not a huge fan of the 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 Lamar livery. Truth be told, I I think it's a good concept that's just been poorly executed. And if you haven't seen the Lamar livery, we did talk about it when it was announced uh, a few months ago now. Um, but it's basically got like a, some sort of uh, striping across the from the front and then across the the cockpit to the the wings. Um, and it just looks a little convoluted they've tried to i think they've tried to go with too many things because they're trying to pay tribute to like the first lamar win uh the uh, you know group c era the 919 the psychedelic car the golf racing car it's just like it, it just kind of looks a little messy in my opinion it's a it, it's a pride car for pride month flood oh i mean okay i guess <laughs> I, I don't know. No, I mean, I know what they were trying to do, but it, it also is just kind of like, I mean, at the same time, it like, I, I would just be like, hey, look, it's the pride car. Like, I don't know. I, <laughs> it looks like a, it looks like it's a whole rainbow that's going across. Like, they, yeah, I feel like they could have executed it just a little better or or guys just make retro liveries themselves. Oh, my just God. Make a, just make a make this make one of the 963s a psychedelic livery tribute. Just do that. Why? Like. I don't, uh. Yeah, I. Like, they've, they've tried to pay homage to too many things yeah. at once. So I, I've, yes. I've pulled up a picture and I'll talk you through each of the stripes. So from out to in, you've got the golf racing 
uh, Porsche. You've got the pink pig. So you've got a, a band of orange, a band of next to a band of pink, next to a band of green, which is meant to be the psychedelic green from that psychedelic martini. Um, then you've got a light blue, which is, I guess, the martini light blue. But that's also next to the dark blue, which is also the martini dark blue. And then in the middle, you've got a red and then another stripe of orange, which makes it look a little bit like the Rothmans car from the from the the uh, Group C days. So you've kind of got Rothmans into martini into psychedelic pig golf which is it's just like i like i like the 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 top of the cockpit but i don't like the rest of it no yeah yeah it it just it it doesn't work and i know where there's the you know we'll we'll talk about Peugeot later and people just are not a fan of that livery but i i like that one better than than Porsches, I, is, uh, yeah. Well, then let's let's talk about Peugeot because they're the next one on the list, and they're the the next of the LMH cars. Um, this is the the great French hope for the centenary event. You know, Peugeot have won the won the event three times, and you know they're building up to this re- being their big return. They didn't quite get the car ready for last year, um, but honestly, I'd say that's probably a good thing considering where the car is at the moment, um, because it's not quite delivered the results uh, that has been expe- expected from it. Um, the nine X, uh, the nine X eight cookie. What what has been your your read on the nine X eight so far? It's trash, bro. It's trash. It's trash. Just, just absolute trash. No, I uh, I've been telling people to to wait and see with it, and uh, this and is see. yeah. This is this is probably the ultimate wait and see to see if the concept uh, will work at the track that they would clearly like want to win at, and I would assume that they went this route too just to try to you know try to make this thing work. So that they can, you know, obviously win at Lamar. So if this just kind of goes up in flames here a bit, it's gonna, it's definitely gonna put some fire under somebody soon. Not necessarily where they're gonna start seeing heads roll, but you're gonna start to see like, all right, guys, like, what are, are what are our honest expectations of of the pace here in terms of what they can perform? And, you know, it's just about maintaining that pace. And, you know, they've they've shown at times that they can kind of keep up with everybody else but they just keep running into either gremlins or um the balance will just fall off they'll go through tire management issues um and just different things that will take them out of the running and i just feel like if they're gonna if they're gonna execute they would really really benefit doing it right now yeah though this this has to be the place for it because this is what the aero concept is designed for and if you haven't seen the Peugeot 9x8 before uh firstly what are you doing? Watch, watch more sports yeah. cars. What, what's, but, yeah, but, what's going on here, bud? Yeah. Um, but number two, the, the the very interesting thing about it is that it's a significantly uh, ground effect car because it has no rear wing. Um, they're using a bunch of uh, Venturi tunnels and downforce, like a uh, diffuser at the back to try and generate that downforce um, and reduce the drag of the car without uh, by racing it without a rear wing. So really, if it's going to be good anywhere, it's going to be good at Le Mans. Um, you know, the, the tracks that we've been to so far this season have been probably the, the worst run of tracks, except for maybe Spa, but Spa had the weather to contend with. Um, that the Peugeot could have raced at. You know, we've had Sebring, which is very much a bumpy mess, which means that all the ground effect kind of goes away because you don't have a consistent band of air underneath the car. We've been to Portimao, which has been undulating and very corner heavy. So, you know, once again, not really getting that downforce uh, advantage from the the ground effect because you're constantly shifting the way that the balance is um, by going over bumps and rises and going through corners. If it's going to work anywhere... It's going to work here because you have 
crazy long straights, really consistent corners, and hopefully not that many bumps. Yeah, correct. I mean, that is that is the logic that they're going for. And it's just, again, it, it's it's hard to say that, okay, this is what their expectations should look like going into this, especially even as fans, because it just, they haven't shown enough consistency to say like, okay, the car is just slow or the car is just inconsistent or whatever. It just used to tires. Um, there's just been, you know, not conv- not necessarily conveniently, but there's just been series of specific reasons and excuses as to what's going on that, you know, that their pace is just lacked here or there. Um, but yeah, again, I, I think um, if this is, if all the if all the issues that they've had and the and the pace issues that they've had at some of the tracks are because of their design, I feel like even if they remotely figure out that design and it works at Lamar, they could genuinely just be a lot quicker than than what they've shown previously and potentially be challenging Toyota. Like I, I feel like if anybody's going to just show up and they're going to have pace challenging for Toyota, it's probably going to be Peugeot because because um, they've designed this car for this track. Yes, yeah. and again, this is me. This is me going into it without looking at the test results or anything like that. Still knowing that the car is not necessarily putting out the exact pace that it probably needs to at some of these other tracks. But again, you know, if I'm gonna look at the car as to what its design window is supposed to do and its entire like genesis for what it's supposed to do, it should be faster here than it should be at any of the other tracks. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that's where at least my logic is. I'm going to be happily chuckling myself when they crap the bed, but I don't, <laughs> you know, at, at this point, this is what my gut's telling me is still to look at these guys as being like, you know, dark horses for it, but yeah. still being a threat. I hope that their reliability stays on track. They've had some really weird failures, particularly with the gearbox, which they've now completely changed. So hopefully that has uh, solved a bit of an issue for them and they can stay out on track. Um, Drivers for the number 93 and the number 94. 93 has Paul DeResta, Mikkel Jensen, and John Eric Eric Verne. And then the number 94 has Loic Duval, Gustavo Menezes, and Nico Mueller. Uh, You know, there's quite a fair bit of talent in there. You've got former F1 drivers in DeResta and John Eric Verne. You've got former Audi LMP1 drivers in Loic Duval. Uh, Up-and-coming talent, particularly Mikkel Jensen. That's a huge, uh, you know, boon for him and something that he's really had to step up into. Uh, it's, It's a it's quite a talented sextet of drivers here. Um, so, you know, there's definitely talent in the car. It's just a matter of can that car match the talent, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which uh, which is your better lineup, you would think, for you? I, I think or, it's probably the 93. Hand? I think Paul DeResta, Jan-Erik Verne as two very experienced drivers with a lot of, uh, with, you know, a lot of F1 experience as well, uh, paired with a up-and-coming bullet in Mikkel Jensen, I reckon that's going to be the the, the pick of the two cars. I, I wouldn't okay. be surprised as well if Jensen gets the chance to qualify that car. Yeah, I wouldn't either, uh, yeah. especially de- depending on how their testing and practice goes. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just a sensation, so I wouldn't be surprised as well if he gets thrown under the ring behind that. And you made mention as well, Cookie, about the livery for the car. So the the, the Peugeot livery has been a very corporate kind of uh, gunmetal grey uh, so far this season. Um, now, for Lamar and for the rest of the season, they're jumping around with uh, something that kind of... Uh, 
you know, harkens back to the Hypnocar Aston Martin from a few years ago. It's a base paint white, but with blue, orange, green kind of striping that's overlapping and very, very sort of... It's very it's busy not, at the back. It's it's busy. Busy is a great word. It's not messy, but it's busy. There's a lot going on, and I I quite like it. I think it's a it's a very cool take on a sort of like electronic looking um sort of yeah uh, livery. I think it's cool. I think it, I think it's interesting too. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a lot of um a lot of camera shots, TV shots too, of it just kind of storming down Mulsanne. And um and just a lot of that livery might just be popping with the uh with the background of the you know rotting trees and all that stuff in the sky as well. So I I think it'll look really well on on track. We'll we'll see if it uh, adds some extra tense and pace <laughs> uh, to the car as well. But yeah, I, I I think it's a great looking livery. I know people are not some of them are just not a huge fan of it, but I I actually didn't mind the the kind of gunmetal gray with like the lime green highlight stuff, but. This is an all, you know, it's it's a great upgraded livery, I guess, so to speak, uh, to their kind of corporate one, as you say. Yeah, I, I like corporate liveries are fine, I guess, but like I like it when car, when the manufacturers do something fun, and I think this is fun, uh, and that's kind of where I'm at with that. So I'm I'm quite pleased. Um, so that is the the what we got fire factory efforts. Um, there are a few privateer entries. So these are cars that are running in the LMH category, so they're bespoke prototypes. Um, but these cars are running as non-hybrid cars. Um, so they're running just on internal combustion engine by themselves. Um, and they are running without factory supports. So they're running as basically race teams. So we've got two of these uh, privateer entries. Um, the first of which is one that we've seen for the last few seasons. The first of the, the LMH cars as well um, was the Glickenhaus Racing uh, 007 cars. Um, so Glickenhaus have been racing uh, the 007 for the past three, se- well, past three seasons um, as partial season entries. We've got one full season entry in the 708, and then we've got an d- additional car in the 709. Um, drivers are Romain Dumas, Olivia Pla, Ryan Briscoe in the 708, and Frank Malou, Nathaniel Berton, and Esteban Gutierrez in the 709. Uh, Glickenhaus has been kind of, kind of the polarizing story of LMH. You know, we've had people who have loved having a American privateer on the grid in a car that looks pretty nuts. And we've had people who have hated the fact that they suffered delays and made promises that they couldn't then keep. Um, and then have been, uh, put off by Glickenhaus's personality. Um, but this car has had a podium at Le Mans 24 hours, um, and has done quite well as you know, the, the second playing second fiddle to Toyota, um, what are your thoughts on the Glickenhaus program as a whole as we kind of get to the, the midpoint of their homologation? Um, I, we've talked about it earlier this year, but I, I'm, I mean, I'm disappointed uh, as an American, you know, grassroots, whatever, plot, whatever plots you want to insert or thing. Um, you know, Jim Glickenhaus is, is what I had hoped would be kind of like this uh, marker for you know, a, a little bit of playboy money spending a bit <laughs> when it comes to um, this kind of new wave of ultra rich or at least like ultra wealthy and not kind of like, okay, well, this guy really likes motorsport and he owns a bunch of dealerships in Texas, wink, wink, hint, hint, nah, nah, but 
you know, like, no, this guy's like, uh, he inherits like $400 million from like a jet airline industry or something like that. Or like he's made this app and is worth $700 billion, you know, where we have this kind of potential new wave of, okay, well, you know, the motorsport industry or the car industry itself is ever changing and it's all corporate owned. Like part of the, the glamour and the romance of motorsport, especially at Le Mans endurance racing has always been a bit of a boutique motorsport factions of these huge manufacturers or just little guys that are trying to make a name for themselves like a Porsche did way back in the day mm. um, and to get their brands on the map. And again, like, uh, you know, I would cheer for a lot of, similar Jim Glickenhouses if they were from different parts of the world, but didn't necessarily have all the off track, you know, stuff as it goes. I, I like Jim Glickenhaus as a person who does that stuff. The extra stuff doesn't help him and it doesn't make, it's not benefiting the actual scene that I would like it to. And so therefore I, I just, I'm disappointed with it. I just think that it was like the concept of trying to like, find somebody or at least try to encourage people to like take some take some bold chances here when it comes to trying to keep sports cars and motorsport and endurance racing and tie that all together from like racing to the everyday like you know real going car like i would i wish that would like stay around as much as possible but anyway that was a long little rant, but that was. Uh, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of yeah, got lost. I, I kind of got lost listening to it, Cookie. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, suffice to say is that I, I just feel like it's um, they missed their opportunity to improve the car when they had an op- to to really sell it. Um, they needed to do kind of what Porsche was doing and really market it as a car that we could we can build these things. You know, they can win. They can challenge four wins. Um, and we can do it without problems and, you know, look how easy, quote unquote, this is, so to speak, um, and really draw in investors and really draw in attention. And really, they had the cusp of doing it. But I feel like Jim spent a lot of that time politicking vocally and loudly about it, where I feel like if you put his head down and really try to improve the car as well and and show good face i i think they would have had a lot better results and i think therefore would have had more attention and this would be a different conversation so do you think um, their their decision to not race the asian parts of the series so we're talking fuji bahrain though you know that that tail end of the series the last few years do you think that has played a, a factor could they have gotten a customer if they committed to a full season and actually followed through uh because one of the one of the major factors that uh, Glickenhaus had cited for missing those rounds was that there was no commercial benefit for him to take his cars across the world to try and race them in a in a place where they're extremely unlikely to use his words to to gain a customer from it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it could have worked. Um, I, I, I think there's definitely been times as well too where we've seen other boutique manufacturers, especially from Japan themselves. Um, in the 80s and 90s where they really didn't want to come to anything else other than Lamont. And again, you know, it, I don't want to say that like his way is the right way, but I do think that from an overall standpoint for him, I think the results were extremely important to him that he had a fair shot at trying to to steal wins. And I think if he felt that there wasn't really much to be gained 
other than trying to steal a win in the Asian markets just so that he could save face and be like, look, we can we can compete in whatever. We're not going to win this championship, but we still have a win. I think he put more he put more of his money on the fact that he could maybe get a win at the Browns that he could probably financially afford to do rather than take risk and go to because I, I ultimately don't feel like he could have felt fielded a full time like I, I he probably could have. And I if you, somehow I have no idea how he would possibly have found this to listen to it. But like if we rebuke the, the absolute hell out of that statement. But I do feel like I, I just. Uh, I don't know how he would have probably done the entire season. Like, yeah. I just feel like there was probably something financially. It would have been tough for him to actually execute that full season to do, regardless of whether or not he said he was going to or not. So, yeah. yeah. So I think part of it is just like, it was never in the cards to begin with. So whatever platitudes he was going to say or excuse is doesn't matter. Cause he wasn't going to do it. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, but I, I ultimately do think that, um, it would not really have mattered. He just needed a win. Yeah. So if the car would have won something in the first two years, I think this might have done, there might've been a way, way different story to this, or at least it not being over yet. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, you know, in any case though, one of these cars has a Le Mans overall podium. Uh, and that's pretty special. And like for all, special. for all the for all the 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 shit that we have given this program, um, they have had both of their cars get to the end of both Le Mans races, like both times. So they have a better strike rate with getting cars to the finish at Le Mans than Nissan did, or than Bicolors did, or than like a lot of other manufacturers in their first two seasons of racing have had in the top level of prototypes. So I think that is something that particularly needs to be celebrated as well. And as well, keep in mind that without Glickenhaus being there for the first season of LMH, we would have just literally had Toyota racing themselves for a whole year. So uh, I've always been of the opinion that people need to cut the Glickenhaus project a bit of slack because it is just a dude spe- like throwing away money to create a hypercar for our enjoyment to watch it race. Like... Yeah, that's my thing. The car looks cool as well. The car looks cool. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, that sky blue, baby blue. This, really pops. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of the two cars, which do you reckon is probably the better car? Uh, the 708 or the 709? 708. Dumas, Olivia Pla, Ryan Briscoe. Yeah, fair. Um, Dumas has an overall win at Le Mans, I think, at least once, possibly also twice, because um, he did race with uh, Peugeot, oh, sorry, Porsche and Audi. Um uh, Olivia Pla, very, very quick driver, uh, a little bit of a older dude, a little bit of an older dude, but also like a little, I don't want to say wild. Wild is not the right nuance. It's, it's very much a, um, he is prone to mistakes. Potentially he can make a mistake or two. Fast, fast and loose is how I'd probably put it. Um, and then right, Ryan, Ryan Briscoe, very safe pair of hands. Um, well, I, don't, I don't want to root for him then. <laughs> what is your honest expectation of Glickenhaus at this year's Le Mans? Um, they're the, uh, the team equivalent of, uh, please God, don't let me embarrass myself in front of all these people. No, that's the, the next one we're going to talk about. Oh, oh, well, I mean, that's, that's even worse, but yeah, I would, I would say this just finish. Like they, they just need to finish. I think if they finish, they will probably beat, um, a OEM or two that they can, that Jim will absolutely go bananas over. Um, and That'll that'll grab some good headlines for them. Like they just need to get those cars to the end where they're like, who cares if they're like 10, 11 laps down? <laughs> but let's, I mean, you know, they just need to finish. 
I would I would be surprised if they're 10, 11 laps down. I think finishing with both cars would be a great result. I, I, I would hope... Well, sorry. I think a, a good result for Glickenhaus, like an exceptional result for Glickenhaus is one of those cars in the top 10. If they do that, I will be absolutely astounded. Oh, sorry, one of those cars in the top five. Top 10 should be the goal, in my opinion. But if they get one of those cars in the top five, I will say that is a very, very good result. Yeah, I would be... Yeah, I would be floored. Although, uh, I feel like that also paints an entirely different picture of the uh, of the look of the race, too, if they're somehow in the top five. Yeah. Well, Stuff I, must have gone completely upside down well, for them, I feel well, like, like top five. Like, you know, all you have to look at is 2017, and, you know, this next car that we're going to talk about could have won had it gotten to the finish. And we are talking about... Yeah, the, that's true. ...the Floyd Van Wall racing team, which is actually just by collars with a different name that they've been fighting the trademark for for the past 18 months. But that's a whole yep. other discussion. Um, the, Van oh, Wall, yeah. the Van Wall Van der Waal 680, the last car on the entry list, the number four car. This car has had a late driver change in it. We had, for most of the season, Jacques Villeneuve in the car um, to... Let's say a varying degree of success. Uh, so he has been pulled for a variety of different reasons. And now that car has Tristan Vortier in it, making his LMH debut alongside Esteban Gutierrez and Ton Dillman. Um, the Bike Collars team project car has been a bit of a meme over the years uh, that we've been doing this podcast, mostly because it just seems to end up on fire. Um Less so nowadays. Um, they've they've the Gibson engine that they've got in that car is actually a lot more reliable and a lot less prone to you know barbecuing. Um, this car is how do I put this cookie? It's 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 something that is kind of just there sometimes. <laughs> Why does this car oh, exist? You mean it's entire existence? Uh, you mean it's entire existence? Um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why this thing exists. It, it it it's there because this man needs to spend money in motorsport, and this is his way of doing it. And no one will tell him otherwise. I yeah. mean, he's like he's like a poor man's uh, uh, Lawrence Stroll. <laughs> Except he's not paying it, for his son to have a drive. Yeah, and he's not necessarily poor. Either. Yeah, like like this I, car. This car looks great. Its performance has just been a little, you know off terrible um, yeah. yeah and like that's been the case of the last few offerings that the bicolors team has has made um you know uh, like as we said the car in 2017 basically just needed to get through the race without any problems and it would have won every other lmp1 car had problems to the point where they were multiple laps down all it needed to do was beat the lmp2 field and it would have won lamar and it was out in the first hour of the race so this is the kind of thing that we've come to expect from this car. So, like, yeah, that's my rant over. Any, any comments that you have on on the car and the organization and life, the universe, and everything? Well, I, I think uh, by Coles too. That was frustrating because twenty sixteen. I think the they they hit something in the first lap uh, that came off of one of the other LMP one H's, and I don't remember what it was, but like. That's how they got like a puncture or something like that, which then they like couldn't get back to the pits or it broke something and they're out. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like uh, it would be nice to see them do better. Uh, yeah. And it, it would be funny if they just needed to finish in front of the LMP2 field this year. To <laughs> in win a, the in race. A cruel yeah. twisted fate. Yeah. And they're battling Glickenhaus. I mean, again, I, for what I feel like is just like a bunch of random like just dudes 
getting paid weirdly under the table to design this race car. Like, I, like I'm glad that they've shown up. I I don't know how they're still able to use all of the words <laughs> that are on the side of that car <laughs> because of all the legal battles and people being like, oh, this we've now made actually you don't know how many linkedin updates i've read from like the three different parties lodged against all this stuff that they're like the van wall car will not be racing anymore and then it just shows up to the next round like <laughs> for the last two months it's been absolutely hilarious to, to to read the legal battles behind this whole thing but like it's funny too because i remember gg being like swearing up and down I was like that car will not race like it just will then they there's so much like bs that's in it like that car won't race and they just keep they finding just ways up, yeah. to show up to these races you're just like all right buddy you like fine you can't we can't keep you away just just do something productive on the track for once please just just do something so the, yeah i am hoping so hard that this car doesn't have any problems that finishes the race I, that's all i want from it is just to finish the race the, the the crazy thing is though cookie is if you look at their results this season uh they they man they did manage to finish at sebring but they ha- didn't finish at portamao they had a brake failure there and they didn't finish at spa they had something else go on there and it was so uh, like I, it was so 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 under the radar that I can't even remember what happened to it as far. Um, oh, absolutely. So, so you that's, know, that's them. What What are your expectations? Nothing. No. <laughs> so if you're listening, if they finish the race, we will be impressed. Is where we're at yes. with this car. Yes. That the the bar yep. is that low. Um. Yep. So, Cookie, that is the LMH field. Sorry, that is the hypercar field for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. That is 16 cars uh, in this class. 16 cars All in the top class of them capable of winning the race. Yeah, uh, asterisk. <laughs> um, normally, at this point, we do some predictions. So, Cookie, let's have some predictions. Give me your top three finishes, and then I'll give you like a, a wild card as well to sort of pick. So, you get to pick a quarter of the field. Give me your top three and then a wild card. Oh my god! Um, eight. So the eight Toyota, uh, Boemi, Hartley, and Hirakawa. Yep. The reigning champions. Yep. I'll say the seven. The Conway Kobayashi and, then, and Lopez. And then the fifty-one. And that is the AF Corsa, Pia Guidi, James Collado, Antonio Giovinazzi car. That's 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 that's. Uh, so what you just That's... did, what you just did there is you picked the top three of the championship so far. <laughs> I tried to be as boring you are as humanly possible. So boring. Okay, give me a wild card, Ben. <laughs> give me a wild card. What are you going to be watching for fun? Uh, Ninety four. Ninety four. Not even the good Peugeot. The other Peugeot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you are an absolute pain in my ass. <laughs> So that is the Lord Duval Gustavo Menezes Nicobello. I mean, I that's the first thing you thought of because that was also what I thought of too. I was like, wait a second. I think I meant the 93, but now I'm sticking with the 94. So you are a chaos incarnate, mate. Yeah, God damn. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a mess, man. <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, I'm also going to pick the two Toyotas and one of the Ferraris because like, that's just the right decision. Um, my wild card, though, is I'm going to be following, of course, the Porsche and I reckon the number six is going to be the one to watch. So I'm going to be following that one. Um, you didn't. You didn't go mighty thirty eight. Oh. Well, I mean, factory dude, fa- That's factory, yeah. Yeah, and like yeah, got back the fact. And like Kevin Est and Andre Lotterer and Lawrence Vantor, like that. Like, come on, man. 
I mean, and like as much as I love the the, the crazy gold number thirty eight, you got to you got to back the factory. It's Porsche and it's Penske. Like, yeah. why didn't they do a DHL livery or a throwback Sunoco livery? Man, that would have been like, oh. Anyway, anyway, that's another discussion. Um, Cookie, I don't know about you, but I am bloody well excited. I'm excited for for the top class of Lamar, and that's something I haven't said or thought for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, same here. I mean, hell, but uh, how how did the GT uh, recording go? Um, that was pretty good. Uh, we 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 went through all the cars. Uh, for for context, the GT episode that you're about to hear in like three days' time was recorded before this. Um, so we went through all the cars. It was really really good. Um, and then we just spent some time reminiscing over the best parts of GTE because, of course, GTE will be will be finishing up. Um, but did, even then, did you do the uh, did you do Garage Fifty Six with that one? Because we didn't do Garage that. Fifty Six, so we can do Garage Fifty Six with this one because we've got a little bit of time. We've only been going for about an hour and a quarter. Oh wow! So do we want, do we want to talk about the innovative car? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? So the innovative car this year is uh. So let's give a bit of context. Each year, the uh, because Lamar has been you know an integral part of the influence of technology into motorsports. You know uh, things like air and disc brakes and sleek bodywork and fuel mixtures and engine configurations all that sort of stuff it's all about improving cars at the top level and testing them um to then apply them to road cars something that has been a a feature of the past few decades has been an innovative car entry so it used to be called garage 56 when they had 56 garages um but now it's just called the innovative car We've seen in the past things like the Delta Wing, the um, Zod R, the the electric car that did the first fully electric lap of Le Mans. We've seen uh, modified P2 cars to allow uh, quadruple amputees and multiple amputees to race uh, as uh, as competitors. And this year, we are seeing a bit of a, a, a weird one: um, a next gen uh, NASCAR. Uh, Chevrolet Camaro ZL1 that has been modified with additional aerodynamics and headlights and all the fun stuff that's going to get it around Le Mans, um, run by Hendrick Motorsports uh, with quite the trio of drivers. Jimmy Johnson, multiple NASCAR champion, Mike Rockenfeller, overall Le Mans uh, winner, and Jensen Button, Formula One world champion in a NASCAR at Le Mans. I mean, let's be fair. This thing is closer to like a supercar than it is a. Uh, this is true. Like a V8 supercar than yeah. it is to uh, to NASCAR at this point. But you're right; it is insane. I also like looking at it in scrutineering today or uh, yesterday too was uh, was nuts because it uh, that was the first time I actually noticed the mirrors, like the carbon fiber, like cool mirrors on it. You're like, that doesn't look. Oh, okay, that's right. Those are not <laughs> like so much of this car. I'm like, that's like. I'm like not used to seeing bits of the car that are now on here for good safety reasons because I've just never been able to imagine a NASCAR actually being modified for use like this and like you know since like the 70s obviously so it's just uh, like I just it's so bonkers I can't I can't wait to see it uh, it's top speed or uh, on test day just to see what it does if it starts passing GT cars or something <laughs> like that that'd just be so stupid I, I can't wait to see to see what sort of lap times it produces can you imagine if this this car produces like a, a you know like a 340 something like it would be passing GT cars or like if it's an absolute gun in a straight line and gets up to like 380 kilometers per hour but then it gets the Porsche curves and has to go through it like it's 60 kilometers per hour like a freaking yeah, boat yeah it could it could have a really great like a couple sectors where it's just in that during that Mulsanne straight um, or where it's just in that, that those long straight areas where it's like 
it'll absolutely just be flying. So, uh, you know, I definitely should expect to see some speed trade off. You know, it's just how fast will that thing be able to compete with uh, GTMs? Like, <laughs> I, I have a feeling it won't, but at the same time, it will be it will be super fun to watch that uh, when the AMs start taking over in those GTMs, uh, because I, then I do feel like we'll see that a stock car passing some GT cars. <laughs> Well, It'll just be surreal. Well, like, absolutely. Because you think about the driver quality in that car. Like, you've got, as I said, a multiple cup champion and Jimmy Johnson. You have a winner of the 24 Hours of Le Mans with Audi, Mike Rockefeller. And you have a, a Formula One world champion in Jensen Button. Like, these aren't scrubs that they've just plucked from the ether to race this car. These are some of the best drivers that have raced at Le Mans or in the NASCAR. Like, these are, this is a serious deal. They're not doing this half-assed. It's going to be, uh, if I do say so myself, terrifying. It's going to be terrifying. terrifying. I mean, this is by far the best Garage 56 entry we've ever had. Like, we've had, like, because in the car, no doubt, should be able to finish the race. I don't know what they're doing for brake changes, if they do need to do brake pad they'll changes. Probably need I, to do, like, let's be real, they'll probably need to do brake pad changes. Yeah, I mean, let's be real here. They probably will. But, like, there, I, I don't think there's any lack of confidence in the team that, uh, you know, where they don't think that they, they won't finish the race. I think they all are expecting that car to finish the race. It's just kind of like we've just not been in this position to see an actual Garage 56 entry do what it's supposed to do for most of the race. Oh, actually, crap. Uh, Delta Wing. That's the original true. Delta Wing. The probably OG Delta Wing. Yeah. The OG Delta Wing could have made it to the end, but uh, my boy Toyota had to take him out. Didn't, didn't want that new innovative technology to to come into effect, so we we kicked it out. Um, Conspiracy right here. That that was one of the the saddest stories of Lamar history in terms of like cars getting taken out of the race unjustly. Um, what about uh the the Frederick Sausage cars? They they've made it to the finish before. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, okay, yeah. I've, <laughs> I don't want to poo poo. Uh, that effort, I just don't, like. Yeah, you don't want you don't want to you don't want to say that the 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 amputee cars have been trashed, do you? No, no, no. I don't. I don't feel like doing that. I don't want to record myself saying that. <laughs> but yeah, I it's those are very very great efforts, and I applaud all of the work done for that. I just think that this is uh this is just more chaotic and more attuned to what I feel like is Garage Fifty Six, where it's just like bring something crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, bring something innovative, which is the kind of the point. How far, how, like, okay, let's, let's make a little bit of a bet here. How far do you reckon that car will go? Do you reckon that car will get to the finish? Yes. I reckon it won't see sunrise. Is it because of an accident? Uh, because of something. Like, and that's cars aren't designed to do 24 hour races, man. I don't know. I'm going to break that down. You're going to break that down? I'm gonna write that down. Right oh, now. you're gonna write that down. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna we'll, put we'll a post-it re- note right, now, right we'll re- in the middle of my screen. We'll revisit that later. Um, what about uh, its lap time? What do you reckon its fastest lap is gonna be? Oh God, you're gonna, you're gonna yeah. Uh, is, it, is it gonna is it gonna break the four minute marker? I I would think so. Is it gonna or break? Be close to is it, it gonna break the three fifty marker? No, no, no. So it's gonna be no. around GCE pace. I, I, I. I'll say slower, so maybe just at four minutes or a little bit above. Okay, so okay, let's let's have a look here. We'll have a quick look last year's um, last year's uh, race lap times for GTE um, fastest laps of last year. 
Um, the fastest GTE laps in GTE Pro were three forty eight. So that's that's oh god, that's pretty quick. Um, but uh, you know the fastest. All right, I'll still I'll still say four minute, but they could go quicker. I don't know. I just, again, I I don't know. I'm no guessing. one knows. We'll find out today no in the test day. Yeah, literally uh, hours from now. <laughs> Brilliant! What a, what an exciting time to be a sports car fan. Hey. Yeah, why not? You know, I mean, sign up now if you haven't. Uh, like and subscribe. Uh, hit that uh, smash that like button. Stop. Like that. Stop. Subscribe. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Stay tuned for more racing updates. Well, okay, let's do this properly then. If you are, if you have enjoyed this, thank you very much for listening. Um, hopefully, this has painted a bit more of a picture of what we're expecting in the top <laughs> class of Lamar. Um, hopefully, this has given you a bit of information so uh, you can uh, come into the race with a bit of an idea of what's happening um, and make your picks for the fantasy endurance competition run by M.W. Clarkson. Um, make sure you get into the Discord. Make sure you get into the subreddit. Make sure you get involved in what's happening over the course of the week. Um, we will have... Two more episodes coming up after this. One breaking down the absolute glut of talent that we've got in LMP2 and another one uh, paying homage uh, to the GTE category. We'll go through the GTE category and talk through a bit of our favorite moments from GTE as well. Um, So keep an eye out for them a bit later in the week. We're hoping to have them out before track action starts, which is on Wednesday. Wednesday this week, we'll have our first official Lamar sessions. Um... Of course, there will be the test day that's going to be happening today. Um, There will be live timing for that. So you'll be able to to jump in and have a bit of an idea of how everything is shaking out. Of course, all the appropriate media outlets will be on site and will be tapping away, giving us notes and updates throughout the event. So make sure you're checking your favorite news, sports car news website, whether that be something like Sports Car 365 or Daily Sports Car or Motorsport or Endurance Info or whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, And... Yeah, we will see all of you for Lamar. For the centenary event, we're finally here. Except for you, Cookie, we won't be seeing you because you just have some <sighs> dumb friends getting married this weekend. Uh, oh, God. I didn't even realize it until, like, like moments earlier before we start recording, too. So it was just ridiculous. I don't know. I'm going to try to find a way to do this, but uh got to represent Team Gazoo and Team Chaos. Team Chaos. You you are the, the proponent of Team Chaos, aren't you, Cookie? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so yeah, next week it'll be chaos, just like I wanted it. No. <laughs> anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed whatever this was. And, this was good. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it worked out well. Stay tuned for the other episodes, but it's going to be an absolute cracker of a race, and uh, you should have enjoyed it. So sit back, make sure you get all your subscriptions beforehand. Yep. Get all your snacks, and uh, get that extra monitor and TV set up just in case you need it. And as well, make sure that you download and print off the uh, the uh, unofficial spotters guide, but made by Mateus Groziak or Zionbell four four four. You know, harking, uh, paying tribute to the Andy Blackmore spotters guide. So that'll be posted either in the race threads uh, on the day or in uh, on Twitter or in Discord. Um, so make sure you print that off and get a big black marker to cross out all the entries that die throughout the event, as is tradition. Um, so that way you'll be able to see which cars are which and who's driving what and it'll just make following the race a lot easier um finally cookie thank you very much for being a part of this podcast yeah man thanks for uh always continually uh hosting stuff like this especially uh around the mall time when uh our lives become a lot busier to get ready for it so i'm glad we can make some time to to hash this one out it's truly going to be a uh, spectacular race uh, I, I know it and and befitting of the centenary event absolutely 
And on that note, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Mike Solivari. Thank you for listening. Uh, peace out. Yasuu!